In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Dear family, we, we've spoken over the last few weeks about the three-week preparation for Lent. Mentioned it on Fat Tuesday, known as the season of Septuagesima, including the third Sunday before Lent, Septuagesima, the second Sunday before Lent, Sexagesima, and the first Sunday before Lent, Quinquagesima which the true Holy Mother Church has handed down to us for a millennia as a time of preparation to fully, properly enter into the season of Quadragesima, the Latin number for 40, speaking to the 40 days of Lent. And when, I have to say, when I was a kid, I thought the church was really bad at numbers because I knew full well when I added up all the days, it was more like 47. That's because Sunday is a day to uh, where you don't, uh, how should I put this, where you don't, aren't subject to the, the fastings, the things you've given up. Well, I did that one year. I said, oh, when I finally figured this out, I think I was in seminary at the time. So I said, oh, I don't have to worry about fasting from these things that I've given up for Lent on Sundays. And let me tell you, I felt like a cheater. I cheapened the whole experience. Listen, if you're going to give it up, give it up for all 47 days. Anyway, quadragesima, Latin number for 40, speaking to the 40 days of Lent. Well, for those who are pretty sharp in Latin, the names of those three preliminary Sundays might not make sense because the words mean 70, 60, and 50 and do not specifically correspond to the number of days before Ash Wednesday. But for those who were a little bit confused by this, I was too, and didn't even realize that there was an apparent discrepancy, I'll explain. Even the church was aware that these numbers do not properly reflect the number of days before Easter as their names suggest. Septuagesima, Sexagesima, and Quinquagesima Sundays actually fall on the 61st, 54th, and 47th days before Easter, respectfully. Well, since the first Sunday in Lent was called Quadragesima for 40th, the next three Sundays before Quadragesima were named after the nearest rounded up figures 70, 60, and 50. So while the titles of those Sundays might seem to be arbitrarily chosen, no matter what the names might be for those Sundays, no matter what name the church gave it, the whole point of the Catholic Church even having them as a distinct and key liturgical season, remember what Dom Guéranger said, very special season, one of the big seasons of the liturgical year, it was and is to help us prepare to enter into Lent, truly a season of sackcloth and ashes. Just remember Nineveh. When you look at the world exploding all around us, when you see it falling apart all around us, just remember Nineveh, sackcloth and ashes. Well, another question that some might have regards the question, why do Catholics have a cross of ashes on their foreheads? After all, in the Sermon on the Mount, and in today's gospel, Jesus said, quote, when you fast, do not, look like do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They neglect their appearance so that they may appear to others to be fasting. Amen, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you may not appear to others to be fasting. Except your father who is hidden and your father who sees what is hidden will repay you. That was today's gospel. Well, here's your response to those uninformed many 
who not only do not know the Jewish roots of what we do, but then presumptuously complain about Catholics and what we've done for millennia, having that black cross of ashes on our forehead, when according to the gospel, it seems as if we're not supposed to let others know. Well, Brant Petre, Brant Petre is brilliant. He has written, it's called Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. It is the single best book on the Holy Eucharist I've ever written, ever read. read. And if, 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 if you haven't read it, maybe make a point this Lent of doing so. The single best book I have ever read on the Holy Eucharist, Brant Petre. Well, Brant Petre, who profoundly and perfectly explains the Jewish roots of the Eucharist, uh, also explains the cross on our forehead. Our Ash Wednesday corresponds to the Jewish feast of booths. The feast of booths was a very public fasting. Everyone did it together. As a matter of fact, if it didn't look like you were fasting on that day, that'd be a problem. Well, hence, because our Ash Wednesday corresponds to that public fasting, we have the very public sign of the cross in ashes on our foreheads. None of the sprinkling business. Oh, no, no, no. Dom Garanger spoke about that, too. It's a black cross of ashes on your forehead. Remember, man, that thou art dust, and unto dust thou shalt return. You know what? Since Vatican II, they kind of changed the words up a little bit. You'll hear different things in different places. No. In the traditional Latin mass, it is this and only this. And it is dogmatic. Remember, man, that thou art dust, and unto dust you shall return. The rest of Lent, after Ash Wednesday, until Good Friday, is for private fasting, which, as Jesus, with, as Jesus said, oil on our heads and a happy face, and nobody knows we're fasting. Because our personal private fasting is supposed to be not apparent to others. Here, here's, a, here's a true story. So I, one Lent, I was in seminary, and I thought I would fast from desserts. I was kind of known as the dessert king. I order desserts for appetizers to this day. Well, I, my seminarian brother said, never again, because I was so miserable to my discredit. In fairness, at the time, the purveyor of food at my seminary was reusing it like one day, two day, three days, same stuff. It was awful. The only thing I had to look forward to was desserts, and I gave them up, and I didn't do a good job of it. Anyway, our personal private fasting is supposed to be not apparent to others, and I, I failed miserably. But there you have it, the theological difference between Ash Wednesday, the mark of the cross on our foreheads, the sign of the cross, and the Feast of Booths, and then the rest of fasting throughout the rest of Lent. Well, for our meditation today, those are just preliminary comments. For our meditation today, let us ponder the words of George, I think I can, I'm not pronouncing this correctly, Georges Bernanos, that someone shared with me just this day. I myself had to be reminded, who was this guy, this George Georges Bernanos? Well, he was born in France in 1888, and he died in 1948. He lived 60 years. 
And he was an author who wrote, among other things, The Diary of a Country Priest, a required reading in my final year of seminary. It wasn't a very happy book, as I recall. Anyway, he, he wrote an essay. And he entitled the essay, now listen closely, Sermon of an Agnostic on the Feast of St. Therese. So what Bernanos imagined, an honest unbeliever taking the pulpit in a prominent French church and delivering a homily, a portion of which went like this. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't share all your beliefs, but I probably know more about the history of the church than you do because I happen to have read it. And not many parishioners can say that. Listen, as you well know, most parishioners don't even read their sacred scripture, much less the history of the Catholic Church. They don't. They're going to answer for that. We have a duty to know our faith, to live our faith, to be a light of Christ of the faith that we have come to know through our own efforts. Well, here's the, the Sermon of an Agnostic saying, because I happen to have read it, and not many parishioners can say that. Dear family, he wrote that before 1948, and it is far more true today than back then. Remember what Cardinal St. John Henry Newman said 100 years ago. He said, quote, the greatest tragedy in the Catholic Church is the ignorance of the laity. And as Bishop Callahan said, 80% of Catholics don't know right from wrong because we bishops have failed to teach them for the last 50 years. It's more like 55 now. So Bernardo's observation is more true today than ever. Many parishioners do not know their church history. So he continues, Bernardo's in his Sermon of an Agnostic, he continues, he says, I know if you're not inclined to worry much about what people of my sort think, him being an agnostic, and the most pious among you are even very anxious to avoid all discussions with infidels, he means like himself, in case they were to lose their faith, as they put it. Well, listen, if your faith is weak and you run into somebody who has a few good arguments against it, you're not prepared to defend your faith. And that'll be rat poison put in there. And rat poison will kill your faith. You need to know your faith to defend it. So he says, many people won't even talk to me. He says, all I can say is that their faith is, must be hanging by a thread. It makes you what kind of faith of the lukewarm can be. He continues, we often call such poor creatures, the ones who don't know their faith, shams and hypocrites. But we... Can't, now he's talking about the agnostics, but we can't help feeling rather sad about it all. <clears throat> Watch, this is, this is, what an insight. For though you are not interested in unbelievers, unbelievers are extremely interested in you. There, there are a few of us who at some point in our lives have not made a tentative approach in your direction were it only to insult you. So there's seekers out there who won't seek it from us. He says, after all, put yourselves in our place. We're there but one chance, the smallest chance, the faintest chance 
of you being right, he's talking about the believers, death would come as a devastating surprise to us. So we're bound to watch you closely and try to fathom you. You see, it's, it's, God wrote it into the heart of every man to seek and find. We can try to avoid seeking by anesthetizing ourselves with the allurements of the world, but nevertheless, it's written into all our hearts and we're unsettled. Who said it best? Was it Augustine? St. Augustine said, my heart won't rest until it rests in you. That's this guy here talking in Bernanos' agnostic sermon giver. He says, we're, we're, we're looking for just a hint that you who believe are right and we will come ask, we will come seek, we'll hopefully find the truth. And then he says this, the agnostic homilist, says, you may laugh, my dear brothers, but at what I say, but it isn't the communists and the blasphemers who crucified our Lord. Whoa, that's, that's breathtaking. Remember, it was about 96% of the, of the Sanhedrin <clears throat> that stirred up the crowd. And everybody present said, crucify him, crucify him. Wasn't the communists, wasn't the blasphemers. It was the churchgoers. And watch how he finishes it up. I, I, made, I highlighted it, made it in bright blue. He said, Aren't you a little disturbed by the fact that God should, has re, should have reserved his most stringent maledictions? Think Matthew 23. Matthew 23, when seven times, meaning infinitely, he condemned vocally, specifically, in the harshest language of his day, the hierarchy. Jesus the Lord condemned them seven times. Woe to you, meant damned are you. So he says, aren't you a little disturbed by the fact that God should reserve his most stringent maledictions for some of the very best people of that day, regular churchgoers, never missing a fasting day, and far better instructed in their religion than the majority of parishioners today. Oh, dear family, Bernanos hit the nail on the head more than 75 years ago. Most Catholics are ignorant and uninformed. And as we know, most Catholics don't care that they're ignorant and uninformed. And I can say that, and we can conclude that because their actions speak louder than words. When 80% don't even bother to come to Mass on Sunday, 80% don't believe in the real presence, 80% have not sought and found the truth like this agnostic is trying to do. You know, 80% don't bother coming to the holy sacrifice of the Mass, which means they're not in a state of grace, which means if they do show up, like the Christers, Christmas and Easter, and then presumptively waltz up the aisle to take purportedly consecrated host, they bring condemnation upon their heads. When was the last time you heard a priest, bishop, cardinal, or pope say that? When? Ever? In your entire life, have you ever heard that said? As always, you don't have to take my word for it about the condemnation on their heads. Listen, 
these creatures that come, make no mistake about it. There's no major uptick of confessions around Christmas and Easter. I spent 15 years in confessional. Not once did I ever hear say somebody say, well, I haven't been to Mass, I haven't been to kept the Lord's Day holy, I haven't been to the Holy Sacrifices of Mass since last Easter. So I really better repent because I want to receive Holy Communion on Christmas. Not once. They don't care. They just waltz up the aisle, take the Holy Eucharist, and bring condemnation on their heads. Again, don't take my word for it. I recommend we do, though, listen to St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, quote, For I received from the Lord. Notice he doesn't say, I received from Peter or James or John. He says, I received from the Lord. Our Lord instructed Paul directly. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was handed over, took bread, and after he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus Christ, our Lord, said that to Paul directly. In the same way also, the cup, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. But St. Paul doesn't stop there. Just teaching about the significance of the Holy Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ our Lord. No, watch what comes next. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily, will have to answer for the body and blood of the Lord. Now, there's a lot of Protestants out there that try to misinterpret that, twist it around, make it mean what it doesn't mean. In context, in the culture, in that day, to answer for the body and blood of somebody was to commit uh, evil against the body of that person. So St. Paul says, a person should examine himself and so eat the body and drink the cup. For Now, and this is the final sentence, watch. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. I don't make that up. When I say Christians who don't go to confession and, and have a sincere act of contrition, have actually have a firm purpose of amendment, like I'm going to quit skipping church every single Sunday for 20, 30 weeks in a row. They don't have that confession before they waltz up the aisle. They bring condemnation on their heads. And when was the last time you heard a priest, bishop, cardinal, or Bergoglio say something like that? Now, here's what, here's what you don't know. First, St. Paul wasn't kidding, and he was not without biblical precedent. If you think I'm kidding, if you think St. Paul was being a little harsh, listen, listen up. <laughs> a little, we're going to get a little lesson in sacred scripture. Do you remember the historical event from the Old Testament when David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the city? And as it was being carried along, it became unsteady in the eyes of Uzzah. So we read in 2 Samuel 6, 6-7, as he reached the threshing floor of Nodan, Uzzah stretched out his hand to the ark of God and steadied it. Just the ark, like the tabernacle. He just touched the tabernacle. Not what was in the tabernacle, not the real presence of our Lord, 
touched by the sacred and consecrated hands of a priest. No, he just touched the outside. He said, for the oxen were tipping it. Then the Lord became angry with Uzzah, and God struck him on the spot, and he died there in God's presence. Are you with me on this? God takes his tabernacle and what's in it very seriously. It's a lesson from the Old Testament. Uzzah only touched the ark and was struck dead. There is a lesson they're lost on the post-Vatican II hierarchy who come up with the abomination of extraordinary ministers and for liberal Catholics everywhere whose unconsecrated hands touch Jesus Christ himself. Hey, go read 2 Samuel 6, 6, 7. See what you think. Figure it out. And then we have a pertinent New Testament lesson. Acts chapter 5. The story of Ananias and his wife Sapphira, who sold a piece of property that kept some for themselves. Then they presented it to the remainder the remainders of the apostles, and both at separate moments were struck dead for lying. That's a, that's a very... People don't seem to think that thou shalt not bear false witness isn't a big deal. <laughs> Let's ask Ananias and Sapphira. That falls far short of touching the Ark of the Covenant, our tabernacle, in which resides... God himself, they were struck dead. So we ought to pay close attention to St. Paul when he says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And if you don't like it, tough. Go start your own church. Go start the church of your own highly exalted opinion. You want to argue with St. Paul? He's going to be waiting there for you at the door of heaven, at the gates of heaven. He might show you some of the cane marks, some of the whip marks, some of the stoning gouges. St. Paul wasn't kidding. It's part of our sacred scripture. Sacred scripture. It's part of the sacred tradition of the Catholic Church. Don't commit sacrilege against the Holy Eucharist. And not just that, because usually when we hear that quote outside the post-Vatican II sacred liturgy, second sacred liturgy, because the minion, watch, the minions, the committee of minions after Vatican II who came up with this new order contrary to the dogmatic traditional Latin mass, watch this. Immediately after writing, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body and eats, drinks, eats and drinks judgment on himself, St. Paul wrote this. Watch this. That is why many among you are ill and infirm, and a considerable number are dying. Do you see that? They, they received the body and blood of our Lord unworthily. They became ill, infirm, and are dying. How can we even begin to wonder why we get sick, infirm, or die? This goes all the way back to, to the beginning of Genesis. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and as a consequence got, consequence, got kicked right out of the Garden of Paradise, and ultimately grew ill, infirm, 
and died. Do you know, dear family, this is such an important lesson what St. Paul gave us, right? Let me tell you what they did after Vatican II, this committee after Vatican II. Not infallible, not an ecumenical council of which there have only been 21, not paying attention to the dogmatic teaching that was clarified, identified, specified, and made permanent into perpetuity the traditional Latin mass of Trent, these people, after Vatican II, took our lectionary, the readings that we would read, and you know what? They took that passage right out of there. We used to hear that passage once a year. Not anymore. Oh, no. No, no. They took it out. They took out the reminder that we must be in a state of grace when we receive the Holy Eucharist. They took it out. You can go for three years straight every single day and you will not see that passage. That's just one example of how they eviscerated the lectionary that used to teach us the truths of the Catholic faith. Well, let us not lose heart, dear family. Never lose heart nor get discouraged by the crazy that has taken over our world and has taken over our church. And even if, even if you feel... Unworthy. That's, I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy to stand there at the altar. We're all sinners unworthy of the great grace of our Lord Jesus and his sacrifice on Calvary. We will never be worthy enough. But that's not the question. The question isn't whether you're worry, worthy. It's whether you're willing to do what the good thief on the cross did. To repent at the last minute and say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And notice Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say it to the guy on the left, did he? The unrepentant, oh no. He also didn't say, don't worry about it, you guy who didn't repent, you bad thief on the left. Don't worry about it because you're going to get annihilated when you die. You're just going to go poof into nothingness, which is what Jorge Bergoglio has apostatized. He said it just recently again. Wow. He says, I know hell is dogmatic, but, you know, I don't really think anybody goes there. Jorge Bergoglio, you are an apostate schismatic. Get out! Well, the getting's good. You die with that white cassock on, you're going to find out just how real hell is. Defendant, it's not too late. It's never too late to turn back to our Lord when we've sinned to turn back to God in whatever time he still gives us. Go to confession, wash yourself in the blood of the lamb and receive his body, blood, soul, and divinity worthily to nourish you and to strengthen you, to actually privately fast for 40 days, this sacred Lenten season of repentance and penance. And now I shall tell you the single best fast you can do. People have been asking me recently, Father, give us some guidance on this. I assume too much. I assume everybody thinks about it. I assume everybody knows about it. Has put some effort into it. It's like you can tell when someone comes into confession whether they spent any time at all examining their conscience. I said before, I mean, there, somebody comes in after six months or a year and says, well, I guess I was impatient a few times. And the joke I make is, I have committed more sins since I got up this morning than you have in the last six months. 
You know, a priest knows when someone has examined their conscience. I always assume people, faithful Catholics, do examine their conscience, do ponder, well, what does it mean to make a sacrifice in Lent? Worthy of the sacrifice he gave. So now I should tell you, because people have been asking me several times leading up to this Lent, Father, what's, what can I do? What should I do? Give me some guidance. So I'm going to tell you the single best fast you can do. It's not giving up chocolate. I remember I gave up Coke one year. How pathetic am I? It's not giving up coffee in the morning. I know it's hard. Just had to do it. It's not that. It's not giving up big meals and your alcohol of choice. No. The single best fast you can do is fasting your time. Fasting from whatever are the competing interests for your time every day. And then, and this is a huge, and then fill in that fasted time with holiness. Fast at least one hour per day for 40 days. And in that one hour, read all four Gospels of the Lord, front to back, starting with Matthew chapter 1. And no, you don't get to skip Jesus' genealogy. Listen, it might be boring to you. You might have difficulty pronouncing the names. It's important to have that in the memory bank because his genealogy means something. So read it. Now, reading all four Gospels should only take you no more than 12 hours. I did it. I think the longest one took me about three hours. So that's 12 hours, which means you still have 28 out of the 40 hours to go. Which means if in that one hour per day you easily can read Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And while I know some are longer, some are shorter. So if each one only averaged an hour, that still leaves you with 20 hours to read more. I checked, dear family, and if you fasted a mere hour a day from all that external useless stuff in your life that takes up your time that fills up your time you could finish the entire new testament during this lent imagine the grace the grace that would come to you when you give back to god just one of those 24 hours he gives to you to devote to his sacred scripture so that you know like I think I talked about Bernardo, uh, so that you would actually be an informed Catholic. And then you would not be one of those ignorant, uninformed people talked about by Bernanos, by Cardinal St. John Henry Newman, and by even Bishop Callahan. Dear family, fast from the one thing you cannot buy on aisle three at Walmart, your time and give it back to God for all he has given you.
In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen.